Well, it's uh, uh, good to celebrate this uh, Feast of the Transfiguration. Um, let's begin with a prayer. O oh Lord, open our eyes to see what is beautiful, our minds to know what is true, and our hearts to love what is good. Amen. I think uh, most of us can identify a bit with Peter. We've uh, experienced opening our mouths and saying something uh, when the uh, best thing that would, uh, would have been to keep quiet. When, you, when you've opened your mouth and said something awkward, you wish the ground would suddenly open up and swallow you and save you from the embarrassment of that ill-chosen moment, that ill-chosen word. And just before the event we uh, heard about in our Gospel reading today, uh, Peter had spoken up on behalf of the disciples. He said they believed that Jesus was the Christ, the Saviour, the one God had promised to send. And when Jesus started to warn them uh, that being saviour meant that he would suffer and die, Peter took Jesus aside and told him, no, no, that's not how it should be. Jesus had to rebuke uh, Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. And that may appear very harsh. Peter's uh, unwittingly voicing the temptation that Satan had used when Jesus was in the wilderness and Jesus could not use worldly methods to become God's king. He had to do it in God's way. Jesus continued to teach them, not only will I die, but if you want to follow me, you must be ready to deny yourself and take up your own cross and follow me. Following Jesus isn't cheap. Discipleship is costly. Like many of us, on that occasion, Peter would have done better to wait until he understood before beginning to speak. But let's remember, who is it that's telling this story? Because the uh, St. Mark's Gospel was accepted by the early church as Peter's memoir of Jesus' ministry. So Peter is telling this story against himself. How honest he is about his own faults. Told the world about his private conversation with Jesus and his need to be rebuked by Jesus. Peter had learned humility in Jesus' school of life, and his honesty is so helpful to us ourselves. So what was uh, Jesus' attitude to Peter in the days that followed? Was Jesus frosty and cold because of Peter's blunders? No. Amazingly, six days later, Peter finds himself being chosen with James and John and walking up the mountain uh, with, with Jesus. Jesus has not written Peter off. What an encouragement that is to us, because we make mistakes and Jesus doesn't write us off because of our mistakes. We're embarrassed by our social blunders and the times we get it wrong. 
but the Lord God looks into our hearts. Jesus looks into Peter's heart and he saw a man who was loyal and willing to learn. He sees into our hearts too and he looks, his look is not a critical look, he looks at us with love in our hearts. If we want to know what God is like, we need to look at Jesus and see how he treats people and how he treats us. The disciples' assumptions of how the kingdom of God would be established had been stood on their heads. They probably still didn't understand what Jesus had been saying about his being killed and rising again. They wouldn't be able to understand until after the resurrection. But Jesus knew that they did need some reassurance that it would work out all right in the end. Does this relate to us and what's going on in our lives at the present? Things don't always work out in line with our prayers. Our hopes and dreams are not always fulfilled. There are disappointments and setbacks in life. Like the apostles, at times we don't understand what's going on as we face the challenges and changes in our daily experience. We have to learn to trust our Lord Jesus through the trying, difficult and painful situations of life. And we need reassurance too. If we'd been on the snow-capped Mount Hermon, what would we have seen? Oh, they were walking up the mountain where Peter, James and John with Jesus. And the disciples were following Jesus. Though they were confused at times, Jesus had the words of life. Though he was God himself, Jesus came from heaven. But that was not obvious to the casual observer. They would have seen three fishermen and a carpenter walking up the hill. That's what Jesus looked like. Jesus had left the glory of heaven behind. He was born as a man to share our humanity, to become our saviour. You know, at Christmas time, we sing that uh, Christmas carol, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Well, on Mount Hermon, Jesus was changed. He was transfigured. Jesus and his clothes shone brightly with light. And Elijah and Moses appeared and spoke with him. For a few moments on the mountain, that veil, the veil of his uh, earthly body and flesh, was lifted and the three apostles beheld Jesus' glory. In the Old Testament, there was a practice to establish monuments, physical monuments, to remind God's people of his interventions, of his faithfulness and his power to save. Abraham uh, built uh, altars where, and uh, to mark the places where he had met with the Lord God. When Jacob was uh, running away from his brother and met with God at Bethel, 
he, he anointed a, a, a stone and stood it up as a monument to remind him that that was the place where he had met God in the dream and seen the ladder and the angels. Joshua, when he led the people of Israel into the promised land, uh, got the young men to take 12 large stones from the bed of the river and they erected them as a monument, a memorial on the bank of the river to remind them that the Lord God had dried up the river Jordan to allow the people of Israel to cross the river safely. Now this is probably, this was part of the culture of the Israeli people, of the, of the Jewish people. And Peter saw this moment as precious and he wished he could prolong it. Peter was not just going um, to miss an opportunity to mark this amazing revelation on the mountain. He says to Jesus, let's put up three shelters. It makes me wonder, did Peter want to establish that Jesus was as important as the old heroes, Moses and Elijah, put three shelters there, three little shrines, you could say. Well, a cloud enveloped all six. The Old Testament cloud of God's presence and God's, uh, uh, God's glory. And God's voice spoke, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. God the Father spoke to interpret the meaning of the vision, the physical revelation. Jesus was not an equal with Moses and Elijah. He was Emmanuel, God with us. What was the purpose of the transfiguration? What could it mean? What did it mean to the disciples? What can it mean to us? Well, Luke's gospel tells us that Moses and Elijah spoke with Jesus about the departure he would bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Now, in the, in the Greek, the departure word is exodus. I remember when uh, we were doing a chaplaincy in Cyprus, I was intrigued to see on the motorway where the exits for the slip roads were marked with this sign, Exodus. The book of Exodus in the Old Testament tells us how God used Moses to lead the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. Jesus' unique role was to lead his people out of slavery to sin. Jesus had set his course for Jerusalem. He had committed himself to God's way of saving his people. He went willingly to do that. But we know from his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane that he was dreading the ordeal that was to come. The Lord our God sent Moses and Elijah to the mountaintop to encourage Jesus and to confirm to him the way that he had chosen. It was the way of the cross. That was what Jesus was about to do. So how would Jesus make his departure? Would it be like Moses, whose death is not mentioned in the Old Testament? Would it be like Elijah, who was taken up to heaven by a chariot of fire? No, Jesus 
was going to be lifted up on a cross, a humiliating, painful, and shameful death. He would rise from the dead to demonstrate his victory. And for 40 days, he would teach his disciples and then ascend to glory to reign as king. So the transfiguration on the mount was also an encouragement, not just for Jesus, but also for the disciples. Jesus' three leading apostles. Jesus refused to give signs to those who demanded them, but he did give signs to confirm the faith of believers. And what they witnessed at the transfiguration gave them something to hold on to. They had heard the voice of God. This is my son. And they had seen his glory. And they knew that they had to listen to him. What they had seen and heard would stay with them as a continual source of encouragement. We shouldn't be surprised ourselves if at times the Christian life is not easy. Jesus and John the Baptist both suffered. All the apostles suffered. We too face difficulties and frustrations as individuals and families, whether it's through our health or our work or our finances or our relationships. We face problems as congregations. When difficult times come, it's helpful to remember past experiences of God's love and care. To remember times when we experienced God's help and felt that God was close. That's a deep encouragement. And like Peter, we remember our own mountaintop experiences. But we're not meant to stay there on the mountaintop. It's interesting to remember those three slush shrines never got built. They went down the mountain with Jesus and took the road to Jerusalem and all that that implied. They had chosen to follow Jesus and they were ready to die for him. They were learning in practice to show self-giving love of Jesus in every situation. Like them, we need to move on in our faith and to keep growing in our trust and obedience as we follow Jesus too. Shall we bow our heads for a prayer? Thank you, Lord, God, our Father, for all the encouragements you give us along the journey of faith. Help us, Lord, to listen to your beloved Son and to trust and obey him. May we be ready to take up our cross day by day and to follow you in whatever situation you call us to live out our lives. Amen.